to stay engaged um, in, in prayer, on, not on Wednesday, on Monday, right? Monday. <laughs> um, and so that's where we're going to be headed. I'd like you just to look at a very familiar passage. Uh, you see in the bulletin that our text is very simple. It is one verse of the Lord's Prayer, but just to give you the context that you are uh, very aware of from Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray... Do not heap the empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. <coughs> Excuse me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we're coming into your presence as your people. We enjoy being together. A lot of that has to do with Christ in us and Christ among us. And so we're asking now that you would meet with us. We don't want to be the same when we leave here this morning as when we came in. Would you affect that in our hearts? Father, you know each one of us how we came in today. Meet us where we are, we pray. Thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to talk about real change. I have a little picture up there about real change. There it is. Who wants to change? Or who wants change? <laughs> Everyone. Who wants to change? <laughs> no one. Really, I just like the cartoon. Um, it's about change, but that's not really where we want to go this morning. Thank you. We want to talk about real, actual life change. And how does that happen? And so I'd like to talk about God's agents of change, God's agenda for change, and our approach to change. So, this phrase that we just said, obviously, it's in the context of the Lord's Prayer. The disciples said, Lord, how, teach us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, and then your kingdom come. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> I saw on the sign out there, it says Presbyterian. One of our favorite topics as Presbyterians is the sovereignty of God. 
God is not dependent on his creatures. He does what he wills. When he wills it, he can do all things. He has all power. Now, really, is there a chance that the kingdom of God is not going to come? No. <laughs> because God is sovereign. He has declared it. He has decreed it. Jesus said it has begun. It will be continuing. It will come. The kingdom of God, that's what life is about. It's coming. So why in the world are we praying? Let's be real. <laughs> if it's going to happen anyhow, why pray? This is our struggle. I think one of the reasons, and, and, and prayer is such a difficult topic to talk about, isn't it? Because immediately you say prayer, we all feel a little guilty. <laughs> Somebody says we ought to pray more. Well, how do you answer that? No, I, I think I actually pray enough. Well, unless I've learned to pray without ceasing, like the Scripture says, apparently I don't pray enough. And if I say, no, we don't pray enough, then pastor, you're not doing your job. You know, I mean, what's going on here? Why pray? What is going on? What purpose does prayer have if God is sovereign? And I believe many of us do not pray and struggle with prayer because we're not sure what its real purpose is and what it accomplishes. You've been reading through the Old Testament and we had one of the chapters about Elisha this morning. So you've just passed this Elijah and the wonderful stories about Elijah. Let me take a piece of a, the Elijah. I mean, the Elijah stories are many and are wonderful. Let me just take one of them and this is the condensed version in modern English. Um, so Elijah, God comes to Elijah and he says, tell the king it's not going to rain, it's going to stop raining. Elijah prays and it stops raining. For over three years it does not rain. Then a bunch of stuff happens and there's all kinds of cool things going on. It's a wonderful time of, of uh, amazing things that God is doing. And then God comes to Elijah and he says, it's going to rain. In fact, go tell the king he doesn't have mud tires on his chariot, so he needs to get going because he's going to get stuck in the mud because it's going to be a gully washer. And he's going to get stuck. So what's my response? Hey, I'm a man of faith. I believe when God says something, he's going to do it. So I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute. He's got a chariot. He's leaving quick and he's leaving now. I'm on foot. I don't want to get stuck in the mud either. Hey, king, can I catch a ride? <laughs> Is that what happens? No. Elijah goes to the top of the mountain and he prays says he prays seven times. Now, if it was literally seven or if that was a number, um, Old Testament uses numbers in special ways. It was a perfected number. But it also says something about his posture. 
He went down and crouched with his head between his knees. It's a picture of childbirth at that time. The picture is that Elijah burst the rain. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed until it started to rain. Do you know this odd pattern? Do you see it? God says, I'm going to do something. Repeatedly, and we could go through the whole of the Bible and see these stories over and over and over again. God says, I'm going to do something. And the people of God go to prayer. Why? Because in God's sovereign economy, He has decided to accomplish His purposes and release His sovereign will through the prayers of His people. Do you understand how amazing that is? That God is saying, I have a sovereign will that I want to accomplish. I have entered into the partnership with man because they are to be a part. They are to rule over the earth. And so they come and ask me and I release it. The main rule of the kingdom is asking. And God accomplishes purposes. Do you want change? Do we want to see change? Do we want to see our, your kingdom come? This is a prayer. Are you satisfied? with the status quo right now? When you look at your family, your work situation, the world, are we satisfied? Your kingdom come and God says, pray for it, ask for it, and I will release it. Wow. Wow. Here's a quote. I strongly suspect that if we saw the difference even the tiniest of our prayers make and all the people those prayers were destined to affect, we would be so paralyzed with awe that we would be unable to get up off our knees for the rest of our lives. Because God and His sovereign purposes and His sovereign decision has decided that the prayers of God's people release His purposes on earth. So what's God's agenda? If we are going to be praying for God's purposes, we at least need to know what He wants, right? <laughs> we need to understand what is going on. So God's agenda is clear. It's cherished. It's costly and it's collaborative. God's agenda is clear right here from our passage. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is central in the Scriptures. 
Jesus, it says, what did he do? He went around the, in that whole region and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. It was about the rule of God and the kingdom of God. That was his message. And in fact, after the his death and burial and resurrection, he comes to his disciples in the beginning of Acts, Acts 1-3, and he has only 40 more days with his disciples, and then he's going to be uh, ascended to heaven. He has 40 more days, and what does it say that he taught? He taught them about the kingdom of God. You go all the way to the end and Acts, the last verse is about the Apostle Paul. He's in Rome, and we know that he's going to die and not... We don't see it in Acts, but it will come. His death will come soon. And what is the, verse, the last verse about? What did Paul do in his last breath? He taught them about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. In Acts 28. So that is the central part of God's message. Now, um, kingdom... We, we are Americans and we don't do so well with kingdoms. <laughs> In fact, the Declaration of Independence, the thing that said we are done with the king, let me tell you, it's in a Matlack's handwriting. Timothy Matlack was Thomas Jefferson's secretary. There you go. Um, <clears throat> I know you're more impressed with me now. So, um, we don't like kingdoms. But, somebody else's kingdom, now ours. That's a whole different story. Uh, so what would you do if you were king? <laughs> I, you know, if I were king, here's one thing I would do. I would make sure that fruit no longer gets stickers on them. That's just annoying. <laughs> I do not like st stickers on fruit that you can't get off. Uh, and somebody would have to do something about the slow drivers in the left lane. I mean, we've got to figure something out like that. I don't know if we start with no Priuses in the left lane or something, but I, um, when I look at what I would do, I realize it would be about me. But when we look at the kingdom and why in the Psalms, the kingdom is so wonderful. It is because of the character of the king. It is the character of the king that makes the difference. Go to Psalm 145. Verse 13, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your domain endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who are falling. This is how this king is. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You, you open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living, every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call to Him, to all who call to him, on Him in truth. 
He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. And then in Psalm 146, the Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Do you see that? This is the character of the king. And we could spend a lot more time talking about the beauty of the character of the king. And God's agenda is that we would live under that rule. That's his agenda. Do you see, I want, I want us to grasp this. When the people of this time were looking for the Messiah to come, they were looking for someone who could connect them again to God that they could be under the rule of God once again, that the temple had been destroyed, the glory was gone, there was no evidence of the presence of God, and they were looking to be in that presence. Now, there was a whole lot that they misunderstood about the kingdom of God and the rule of God, but that was the key part. And Jesus, has said, Jesus said, good news, you have that access again to the rule of God. And Jesus says, it's through me. See, the cost for it was significant. It was high. Why? We had given up the rule. Remember all the way back in the garden, and we'll talk about this um, this evening some more. Remember back in the garden? We ruled the earth. And what did we do? We gave it to Satan and said, here, have it for an apple or some fruit. We gave up our rule. And Jesus had to come and claim the rule back and defeat the usurper. <laughs> and now, although Jesus in His lifetime three different times said, the ruler of this world, and refers to Satan as the ruler of this world, but it was Jesus who defeated him through his life. He did not succumb to the temptations. Through his death, he paid the penalty for us. And in his resurrection, he defeated death. And now he is reigning. And now he is at the right hand of God the Father reigning. That's the context of our lives. We'll talk about more in, in, in other times. But let's... Let me say something fairly dangerous. <laughs> the gospel, the good news, is not about your sins being forgiven. Now to be sure <laughs> that my sins are forgiven is good news. But it is not the good news. The gospel, the good news is that I now have access to the rule of God. That I am no longer worthless, but now am in relationship with the Father and participate in His kingdom coming. That's the amazing good news. 
So you see, it's not simply about sin management. <laughs> it is about entering into the glorious kingdom and being a part of it and actually being an heir of it. So here's a little difference. We live our lives and we ask the question, how does God become a more of a part of what I do? Let me give you an alternative. I get up in the morning, put my feet on the, on the floor and say, this is your kingdom. How do you want me to be a part of your world today? Subtle difference, but huge difference. Because the first thing I'm doing is asking, God, what are you doing? And so let's talk about that a minute. About our approach. What is the approach that we have? One of the startling statements, one of the most beautiful statements that I think of Jesus making is that he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I don't do anything else. Unless the Father is doing it, I don't do it. Can you fathom that? Can you fathom living like that? Wouldn't that be amazing to be able to live like that? That all I do is based on what I see the Father doing. See, I do think that's what God is calling us to. That our lives in this context of this kingdom is us figuring out what is it that God is doing in my spheres of influence that He has given me. What am I doing here? What are you doing, Father? How do we understand that? Now that, that surely can only come out of intimacy with Him. You see, Jesus repeatedly retreated and spent long times, long hours of prayer. If Jesus needed that, <laughs> I know I do. But he was spending it in the presence of the Father. And then he acted accordingly because he knew what the Father was doing because of that relationship. And it started in the context of prayer. See, prayer is not just a, um, us lining up our laundry list of things that we would like, to do, like done. It is coming into His presence and being in conversation and hearing from Him. Knowing what His will is. Let me ask this question. In your relationships or maybe your your family or your spouse. If the kingdom of God came into your relationships, what would be different? What would need to change in order for somebody to look at it and say, there's the kingdom of God. The simple definition of the kingdom of God is the, the, uh, the will of God 
being carried out under the rule of God. So what would be changing there? Or let's expand those circles a little bit more. And your work environment and where you are in, what would need to change for the kingdom of God, the principles of goodness, righteousness, justice, all those kinds of things that describe the kingdom of God, what would it look like? What would need to change? If God's kingdom came in Orangeburg, what would be different? (laughs) Maybe, maybe as God shows us that, that's the place he wants us to start where God wants us to be a part of. First, in prayer, your kingdom come to this situation. You see, these aren't prayers. We're not talking simply about prayers, about easing the circumstances of others. That's legitimate, and there are real hardships that we are asking God to intervene in. But we are asking for the rule of God, for God's all of God's attributes, all of God's goodness, His righteousness, His mercy, His love to, to affect those realms in which we work. Now, <coughs> sometimes when I pray, there are times when I'm pretty sure God could do this. And I find it easier to pray if I'm pretty sure God could handle this. But then there is stuff (laughs) God, this is so wrong but I've never ever seen you do that before, so I'm afraid to pray about it. And God says, I have called you to release my purposes on earth. There's a startling passage in Ezekiel 22. Israel, again, has been a mess. And God says, I looked for a person to stand in the gap and to intercede. I looked for someone and there was no one. And so I brought judgment. What do we do with that as Presbyterians? (laughs) Apparently, God is saying, you have the power under my economy, my design, to affect what happens in your world and in your situation. Oh, what an amazing idea, what an amazing concept that God has that we are releasing His purposes. What is the impossible in your own circumstances? What is the impossible?
your kingdom come and see God release it. Do you see one of the things that we, we talk about? We send missionaries out there and we can't go for various circumstances and one of them maybe being that God is just has not called us to go out there across culturally somewhere. but you can be at the front in seconds. And for us as missionaries, the reality is that if we are not winning the battle in the spiritual realm first, we will not see the power of God demonstrated on the ground. And we need to do it. And we need you to carry with us and to do strategic prayer that God would change Orangeburg and Greece and various different places in Africa and, and across the world, wherever we are ministering. That's what we have been called to. That's our privilege. Oh, Father, give us faith. Lord, we, we have tasted, sometimes we have tasted when you allow faith to rise up in us and we earnestly beseech you. Lord, may that be our normal state, full of faith, seeking, asking, pursuing you, that your kingdom would come. Oh, Father, that you have brought us into partnership with you to accomplish just that. May it be so. In Jesus' name.